This podcast is brought to you by MediShare, affordable and biblical health care sharing. Visit MediShare.com slash unpacking it. You deserve affordable, reliable health care. It's MediShare. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast presented by MetaShare. It's the show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. I'm Bryce Johnson, and I am so fired up to welcome on Benjamin Watson. Oh my goodness, this guy is the best. We interviewed him back in 2013, and it is remarkable what God has done really in his life and in just the way that, that Benjamin has taken on the, uh, the opportunity and willingness to speak on key issues and to do it on, on really large platforms. And so you've, you know, you've seen him, he's not, he's now on the SEC network talking sports, but you see him on other news outlets and, uh, just being willing to, to tackle big issues. And so we will get into a lot of that today. I'll even ask him kind of how that process happened to even be willing to do that. And in the ways that God kind of worked in his life to, uh, to set that up. Uh, but we'll talk a lot of football, uh, a lot of life, key issues. Uh, if you, if you're not familiar with Benjamin Watson, you should be because he's great. But but a little bit about him: he's an author. Uh, he wrote two books, "Under Our Skin," "The New Dad's Playbook." He retired in 2020 after 15 seasons in the NFL. Played for the Saints with Drew Brees, the Patriots with Tom Brady. Spent time in Cleveland, Baltimore, uh, and actually, he, he two different stints with the Saints, two different stints with the Patriots. He won a Super Bowl in New England. Uh, lost a Super Bowl in New England. Uh, he won the Bart Starr Award back in 2018. And he's doing some awesome work with the Human Coalition, which we'll talk about on the show today. Uh, he also writes a, a weekly uh, kind of blog. Uh, and so you can check out his website, thewatson7.com. Uh, him and his wife have a, a, a foundation that's called One More. One More Foundation, uh, and then he also does a podcast with his wife called Why or Why Not, uh, so you can check that out as well. But before we jump in with Benjamin, it's a longer conversation. You'll want to stick around for it all because we, we get into some uh, some heavier stuff toward the end, um, but uh, but a really strong conversation. I'm, I'm very encouraged after talking with him. Uh, and then stick around. At the end of the conversation, I won't go too in-depth on a recap uh, which I normally do after uh, after an interview, uh, just because this one did go so long. But but I'll have a few final thoughts uh, afterward. But let me thank our presenting sponsor, MetaShare. We are so grateful to be partners with MetaShare. My wife and I have been members of MetaShare for over five years. MetaShare is an innovative healthcare solution for Christians looking to save money without sacrificing on quality. MediShare is a biblical, affordable alternative to health insurance. They've been around more than 25 years. The MediShare program serves more than 400,000 members, and they are the largest healthcare sharing community in the nation. And MediShare members uh, love being a part of the, the community, knowing that, that we're kind of in this together. Uh, and so it's a, a great, affordable alternative to health insurance. So there you go, MediShare dot com slash unpacking it you can also text the word unpack to the number 201201 uh, so if you want some more information figure out if it's the right fit for you and your family text the word unpack to the number 201201 but right now let's jump in it's benjamin watson on the unpacking it podcast 
bringing you unique insight into the faith and character of guests from the sports world. Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. And joining us now on the MetaShare guest line, a former guest. It's been a number of years, but we are thrilled to welcome back Benjamin Watson to the Unpacking It podcast. He's now an author. He's got two books. One is called Under Our Skin. The other is called The New Dad's Playbook. He retired in 2020 after 15 seasons in the NFL. He also writes a a weekly publication that goes out through email that, that I'm a subscriber for. He hosts a podcast with his wife that's also seen on TV. And he is the VP of Strategic Relationships for the Human Coalition, which I want to spend some time talking about today on the show. But Benjamin, so great to have you back on. How are you? I'm well, Bryce. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Doing great. Coming off uh, a Valentine's Day night. So you've got seven kids. (laughs) What what were you able to do for your wife for Valentine's Day? Well, I kind of got the night off, to be honest with you. You know, we don't really do Valentine's Day, which I know everybody's like, what, huh? How does that, how does that work? Are you sure that she's okay with that? And yeah, man, I mean, you know, she told me very early on, she's like, look, Valentine's Day is, is, is commercial. It's a great holiday, but there are 364 other days. Give me flowers and stuff on those days. So I actually, fortunately, don't have Valentine's Day pressure. I do uh, get my daughter's flowers and drop them off at school. That's kind of the tradition yeah. that my wife actually told me I should do that. So I've been doing that. But as far as we go, man, we're pretty chill on Valentine's Day. How about yourself? That's awesome. Yeah, similar. We we hung out. I was actually supposed to make her dinner and ended up hitting a ton of traffic, and so I wasn't able to do that. So I still I, I gotta I gotta do something something for her. <laughs> but uh, but, no, but Valentine's Day is crazy. I mean, twenty. I think this year it was projected that Americans would spend twenty five billion dollars on Valentine's Day. I think something like you know twenty four billion is like the second highest all time. Twenty twenty was the highest, I believe. So Whoa. between the candy. The greeting cards, the jewelry. I mean, Valentine's Day is is a big, big, big money getter for some of these companies. Gosh, thankfully, so I'm allergic to flowers, so no flowers, so I'm good. <laughs> I don't have to worry about the flowers. I get out, I get out of that. But the funny thing too is, you know, the day after the Super Bowl is Valentine's Day, so we, we got to talk uh, Super Bowl as well. And of course, your uh, your Georgia brother Matthew Stafford uh, got the win. But what what did you make of, of this year's Super Bowl and the and the Rams? Uh, being victorious well Bryce I actually uh was gonna go to the game I never went as a player but I went last year with my dad my first year retired we had a great time this year is a little too far for us to go so I ended up going to South Carolina I'm, I'm living in Georgia now went to South Carolina spent the time with my dad who grew up being a Rams fan and so oh, wow. he was excited about the win uh, I was worried that the game may not live up to the other playoff games because we've had some great playoff games this year. I mean, I would say that, you know, this, this playoff season has been probably the best I can ever remember in recent history, some of the, these games, Uh, but, you know, watching that game, what a great story of the Bengals, but yes, uh, Matthew Stafford, QB one from Georgia, but also Sony, Sony Michelle's on that team, Leonard Floyd, Thomas Brown is a running back coach. A lot of Georgia connections in that game, and, I, and I'm happy that it turned out to be an exciting game. I think for the fans, uh, you want the the premier game of the season, you know, the capstone of the entire season to be a drama-filled, a drama-filled game, an exciting game, and I think that's what we got in L.A. Absolutely. I actually thought the Rams were going to blow them out, so I was pleasantly surprised with a close game, and, and I was glad the Rams won. So it was – Yeah, it, it, was it looked that way for a minute. It looked that way it for did. a minute. It was like 13-3. to three. And then to give the Bengals credit, I mean, they, they had a phenomenal season. I mean, that, that Joe Burrow, um, I'm thoroughly impressed. I was saying like halfway through the year, actually toward the playoffs, I realized really how unbeatable that LSU team was back in 2020 that he was leading. I mean, you really don't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate it as much until I actually have seen the quick two-year turnaround that the Bengals have made. Yeah, what do you make of that? Just that, you know, you, throughout your career, different, you've been on successful teams, struggling teams, all that kind of thing. But to see a team do this so quickly, I, I, is that even, can another team replicate this or is this kind of just a one-off? Oh, well, you know, it, it, it takes great leadership at the top. It takes some foresight and it takes, you know, we say a little bit of luck, the ball is to bounce the right way. But 
you know, football is so crazy in that you have to have – you can't just get one good player. There has to be the combination of great players, but they also have to be able to work together. And when you look at what the Bengals did, they went out in free agency. They got Von Bell. They got Hendrickson, the, the DN. Uh, they got a, a lot of players in free agency. Same thing that the Rams did a little bit. But then they got that piece in in Joe Burrow to lead them. And it seems like they just had a lot of fun together. They were able to gel. There was a certain humility when they brought in even Jamar Chase, the rookie, the, the right receiver. And so it can be done. I think that the NFL is a copycat league. So everybody ends up trying to do what everybody else does. We'll go get a young head coach. We'll go get, you know, an offensive guru. We'll get a bunch of free agents and try to throw it all together. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But really impressive to see, you know, the way it's turned. It's almost like when I was a kid, you know, the Bengals were were relevant, the icky shuffle. And it's almost like we've come all full circle back to that time. It's it's wild. I know for sure. And, And it gives some of these other franchises, the, you know, the Lions, the Jags, my Panthers, a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope that they can turn it around. So every dog, uh, so we'll every see. dog has their day. Every dog has their day, including the Georgia Bulldogs. That's right. So I was going to ask <laughs> you about that too. So uh, part of what I was interested to hear you, you talk about is you know, this was your first year uh, on the SEC Network, being an analyst. So how was that experience? And then your first year, your your team win, wins it all. So what what was that kind of experience like from that perspective? You know, it was a magical season uh, for Georgia. And quite honestly, uh, Bryce, it it was a learning experience for me. It's different being on that side, being in the analyst seat and, you know, having to know all of these storylines that you don't think about as a player, you know, interviewing people, um, you know, being kind of a connection between the fans and what's happening in the game. So that was definitely a learning experience. But for Georgia to win it in my first year, like I was telling my wife, She's from Atlanta, you know, born here, lives between here and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And since we've moved back to Georgia in April of last year, hasn't been a year yet, uh, the Atlanta Braves have won the World Series. Uh, The Georgia Bulldogs have won since 1980, which was the year I was born. Um, Matthew Stafford, Georgia Bulldog, wins the Super Bowl. I'm like, Kirsten, you are – I knew you were a good luck charm. (laughs) <laughs> but what else is going to happen in the state of Georgia that hasn't happened in oh, a long man. time? You know, I mean, there's so much stuff, but I was thoroughly excited to see Georgia win. Um, and I was able to be at the game, be on the sidelines. Um, just a really, really special time for the entire Bulldog Nation. Long time coming. I saw you going nuts. Yeah, no, it's cool. <laughs> and uh, David Pollock, he comes on unpacking it all the time, one of our favorite guests. And, you know, it's always interesting, you know, for you guys when you're, you're you're covering the team that you love and you know, you, you want to be neutral, but you also, Hey, listen, I graduated from there. This is my team. Of course I'm going to be open about it. So how did you navigate that on the way to the, the championship? Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that, um, you know, football fans are passionate, especially sec fans. So working with the sec network, you understand that, you know, these, these fan bases, you know, from the top to the bottom, everybody's passionate about their school. And so I think that that's what makes people, people can, can relate to that. And so they can relate to me. Like I literally was supposed to like be on air right when the clock hit zero. And I told the producers that I'm going to be on the sideline crying. That's what I'm <laughs> going to be. And and they were like, you know what? Enjoy it. Like this is the SEC. This is a national championship. Go enjoy it. Like people understand that people appreciate it. And so there's a, there's a, there's a place where you sit that is, you know, you have to, say, okay, this was great, this was bad. You have to analyze what each team does, what each player does, the decisions that the coaches make. You have to analyze that. But the reason why many of us are sitting in these seats are the same reasons why people are watching is because, number one, you love the game of football, and number two, you love your school. And, and for us, you know, having played at those schools, always going always gonna to cheer for them. That's never going to go away. I, Georgia football is really the only team I'm really a fan of. The oh, other places, the other places, you know, I'm a fan of different guys I play with the, in, in the NFL, but I just work there. Like, that's mm. where I work. But my d- diploma is the University of Georgia. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that, that makes sense. And, and you played for multiple teams. So I, I guess, yeah, there's, so there's not maybe one strong connection more than another. Is that kind of the case? Yeah. Nothing that compares to college. Nothing that compares yeah. to Georgia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not, no, it's not even that. comparable. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. Well, especially now your uh, your former quarterbacks, especially Drew Brees, Tom Brady, those guys retired, so you don't necessarily have that yeah. you know, that strong connection too. But I was going to ask you about Tom Brady because that, of course, is the the latest news. Do you buy that he really is retired? What do you, What do you think? 
but it's crazy that that's starting to like come out now. Like, is he really retired? I mean, I I, I buy it until he says says he's not. I, I mean, yeah. look, the guy could play. It's never surprised me. What surprised me was that every year over the last ten years, really since he turned thirty five, uh, you know, people were like, "Oh, is this the last year? Is he going to fall off a cliff?" He's getting. He's thirty six. I'm like, you guys don't understand this this man right here. You don't understand the fact that he's still going up. And as long as he doesn't get hit, which he doesn't too often, he'll be. It ain't like he got to run downfield and you know tackle people. You know, it, it, as long as he stays upright and he has his mental capabilities and his arm strength, I mean, he's going to be good. So, I mean, I think for him, you know, one thing that he said was there were some other things he wanted to devote his attention to, and so I think he's going to do that. He's going to reevaluate in a year or maybe a few months and, and see how he feels. But the one thing I know about Tom Brady is if he wants to come back, I'm sure plenty of teams will have him. Some guys want to come back and nobody wants to have him. Somebody will take Tom Brady. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. All right, so so for you, you knew you were done in, in 2020 and, and retired. And so how has it been going? We talked about the, the analyzing work with SEC yeah. Network. But you got your hands in a, in a lot of different things. How has post-retirement kind of overall uh, been for you in that, that transition? You know, uh, Bryce, it, it's, been, it's been good. Um, God has been faithful. Um, my family has been tremendous. It's tough. It was tough. And mm. I knew that at some point it would end. We all know this is going to end at some point. Uh, life is going to end at some point. So right. we know football is going to end at some point. Um, for me, it was the combination of several injuries that just kept compiling, and you realize you can't you can't do what you used to do to the level that you used to do it, and mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's difficult to for your body just to say you know what <laughs> I've had enough, and so that's kind of how it was for me. And there's there were some days where that that were dark, honestly, mm-hmm. where I just mm-hmm. felt, what am I gonna do? What am I doing? Um, I, I have no. I have no way to navigate life without the cadence of football. This is something that's totally different at 40 years old, you know, last year is like, well, what, you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to do it? Uh, But as I look back over the last, I guess, two years now, it's really been amazing how God has placed people in my life in different spheres to give me advice, wisdom, encouragement, and to open my eyes to all that is out there that I wasn't able to see while I was playing football. It's been truly amazing. I mean, people that are in the political realm, people that are in um, sports um, business, people that are in philanthropy, uh, people in the faith community, just people that I didn't know. And God has, in those times when I've been really struggling, like, man, you know, I really missed the game. Mm. Uh, He's kind of placed these people along to kind of give me, (laughs) to give me that, that oasis or that encouragement. Uh, to keep going. So, as you mentioned, been involved with a lot of different things, which, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll unpack it, to use the term. Um, But, but it's been, it's been an adventure and it's been good. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed being, you know, people always talk about, you know, being with your family and granted, you know, football is a sport where if there's any pro sport that's most normal as a nine to five job is football. Like Mm. I was home for dinner. You you Mm. travel every other week. You, You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an all day, encompassing deal but you're able to have somewhat of a normal cadence but now that i haven't had that commitment there have been times when i've been able to do do some things with the kids that i just wouldn't have been able to do before that that's awesome and and i'm wondering too the the cadence even for your your faith while you were playing and the rhythm of chapel services and and bible studies with teammates and some of that was kind of i assume built into your your schedule how has your faith kind of a change just from a rhythm cadence standpoint and growth and, and pursuing the Lord and, and fellowship and that kind of thing changed in retirement, good and bad or, or challenging and fruitful. Yeah. I would say one of the challenges. So we, we, we finished in, Bo- in Boston with the Patriots. We waited for a year. The pandemic happened. We moved. We're in Georgia now. And so finding a home church has always been challenging. Mm. Um, even as we moved around to different places, it was always difficult. And my wife, Kirsten, to her credit, she would always make sure even on a one o'clock game, she would take the kids to church. She wanted them to understand the importance of going to worship corporately. Even if daddy had to go to work on that day, then they would leave and go to the stadium and be at the game, you know, but it was always something that, you know, was ingrained and important for us as a family, even if I couldn't be there. Uh, So now I'm moving to a new place. 
finding a, a, a new church um, is difficult. And I'll also say that, um, you know, the chapel services, the being, being around a group of men who were going through the same uh, trials and victories, who had some of the same um, uh, problems, and then coming together with them for chapel services or just those one-off conversations that you have about faith throughout the week, Bible studies. Uh, I, I do miss that uh, because what I realized is that, you know, in this quote unquote outside world, you got to make an effort to get together with people. Like it doesn't just happen, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, like for, yeah, I mean, for most of my, for my entire football life, I'm going to work with 50 guys at a time, 60 guys at a time. And there's, there's a sense of community there where you can really be, get on the island outside of the game. Um, and so that's that's been challenging and something that I'm starting to, to navigate more, like reaching out, hey, let's get together for lunch. Let's get together and do that. Let's, let's do that. So from a faith standpoint, that's been tough. But I will say this. Last year, uh, Bryce, uh, I never read through the Bible in one year, like mm. entirely. I've read all the books from time to time, that sort of thing, but I've never like actually committed to, I'm just gonna read through chronologically through scripture in a year. Never wow. made it past like judges, you know, <laughs> it gets kind of difficult, you know, no. around May, April, you start falling off. But last year, my wife and I did it. And I, I really fell in love with God's word in another way, in a whole new, new way. Like it just, I mean, it just makes me smile when I think about the, the narratives, um, the poetry, the prophecy, um, you know, the miracles, you know, the revelation, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and so my, my faith grew in that way outside of the game um, because of that commitment that we made. And we're going through it again. And, yeah, there's, there's different Bible studies that we do, that sort of thing. But really getting into the word and digesting the word on it on a daily or sometimes you miss a day you got to you know go back and do two in yeah. one day but on a daily basis really has paid tremendous dividends oh man that's awesome and, and what was kind of your process to reading it because there's a lot of different ways to do you know you, the one that i've got set up there's a psalm a proverb an old testament new testament kind of section yeah how, how did you how did you kind of ours is, ours is pretty much like that um the one we did last year was through an organization, Pro, Pro Athlete Outreach, which I know you're probably familiar yeah. with. Uh, my wife, Chris, and I serve, um, serve as directors of football for that, and we actually have a reading program, uh, a suggested reading program. I mean, there's so many different ways, as you mentioned, to do it, but for us, it was it was Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverb every single day. Uh, this year, we're just doing a different, a different translation, so I think we're doing oh. New Living Translation. We did, like, NIV last year, so kind of getting oh. a different flavor of the same the same, um, you know, words, uh, but, um, you, you know, it was, it, it's crazy how when you uh, compare, you juxtapose the old and the new, and you see that it is just one story. That's right. It's one story. It's yep. one narrative, 66 books, you know, 40 different authors, three continents, three different languages, three different languages. It, it, it's all the same story about, you know, creation, fall, re redemption, consummation, I mean, so there, there's a lot of different ways. That's just how we've, we've done it. And it's been, it's been really fruitful because you get a little flavor of, of everything. You're able to see how so much translates from the old to the new. Amen. Yeah, our church is going through a year-long kind of every – the whole series is called The Red Thread. And, and so mm. Jesus' blood and all of that throughout the entire book of the Bible. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's cool. So I yeah, I love love that you uh did that. Now you're running it back. That's that's cool. Um that's an important uh challenge and encouragement for all of us to uh to hear that today. So so very cool. All right. So one thing I, I did want to ask you, um, so we we talked back in 2013 and and so loved having you on the radio show. We were doing the radio show back then, and, and you were outspoken about your faith. And what's been incredible to see over the years is your willingness to take on major cultural issues through the lens of, you know, being very outspoken about it. Hey, you love Jesus and you're willing to, to tackle some of these, these topics. I'm just curious the, the process that you went through or how God kind of worked on your heart to say, all right, I'm, I'm going all in and I'm going to start bringing up some of these key issues, race issues, abortion, um, you know, faith issues that, that, that pop up. How, how did you get to that point? Because now it's, I mean, 
you know, I see on all the, the, the major networks and, and you're such a, a strong voice that I'm, I'm cheering for. Um, so how did, how did you get to that point? Uh, well, I, um, it's always a difficult question to answer because it's not, it's not how I got to the point. It's really how God opened a door. Yeah. Yeah. And how, you know, when you read through scripture, you see so many times, you know, he's, he says, and then they will know that I am the Lord. Like even in Exodus, when he's talking to Moses and talking about the deliverance he's going to give, and it's never about Moses. It's always about, then they will know that I am the Lord, that the Israelites will know who are my people, but also that my enemies will know that I am the Lord. Like it's always about him. And when mm-hmm. I think about the opportunity to speak into cultural issues, um, it, it was never the plan. It, it wasn't my plan. And I don't know how long it's going to last or not last. Um, you know, I may have no more interviews. That, I mean, you just don't know. But I do remember specifically in 2015, um, after the Ferguson decision and after Michael Brown was killed by the officer and, you know, I wrote the Facebook post and all those sorts of things. That was how God decided to open a door. For me to talk about so many other issues mm. that's when he said you know i'm gonna i'm gonna let more people hear your voice whereas before i i felt the same way like so many other people do about certain things um nothing really changed it was just the platform and the opportunity that changes and so i think that the the encouragement there and, and to be quite honest with you um i think we've talked about this maybe we hadn't talked about this but i wasn't in a very good place in my career I was upset. I wasn't playing yeah. enough. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't yeah. starting every game, you know? And so that happens and everything that I wanted that I thought would allow my name to be known, which would be catching touchdowns and being, you know, being the guy. Cause we all want to be the guy. That's why we play. Um, wasn't happening. And then God used something else to allow me to talk about some of these things that are important to me. And so it, it's just an encouragement to people to, to be where you are and just be faithful where you are. Um, if, if 20 people hear your voice, if 20 million people hear your voice, it, that's not a measure of you being faithful to what God has called you to do. Mm. Like it, he can elevate whoever he wants to at any time. And then he knocks you down and goes on to the next per- person. And one thing you realize reading through scripture is that there was a lot of heroes that came and a lot of heroes that left. And it's still uh. the same way right now. We're all just coming and going. And That's so right. we, we speak truth. We speak it to power. We speak it responsibly. We have an opportunity to. Um, and so that's kind of how it happened for me. I can't say that, you know, there was some, some plan to do it. Yeah. Uh, but, but I can say that as you continue to, to open your mouth, um, it may be difficult at times, but, but God, the scripture says that God gives us the words to say. And so Amen. my hope has always been to be truthful, you know, about some of these very difficult emotional issues, um, but also be faithful to what, um, you know, he would have me to say. Amen. Amen. And that, yeah, that encourages me even more because then we can trust what you're saying because you're allowing God to speak through you. And so we, we cling to, to his truth ultimately. And then he uses different people, like you say, uh, to, to get his message out there and, and to, to even speak into some of these other topics, which is, which is great. So uh, thank you for being obedient to him and, and uh, allowing yourself to uh, be that, be that, that, that voice for him. Um, so, yeah. And also I'll say, I'll say, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, that I found in speaking about, you know, you mentioned the issues of um, race in America or abortion or trafficking or, you know, a lot of these, these different things is that they all have a connectivity. What, what American, I can only speak for American culture because I'm American. Um, <laughs> I, what American culture and especially our political culture tries to do is to, is to silo different, different causes um, and, and disconnect them from each other. And specifically when it comes to issues of justice and reading through scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see God's heart for justice and you see God. And when I say justice, what I simply mean is giving people their rights, protecting vulnerable people groups. Um, you know, even the, the, the gleaning laws about protecting the poor in the, in, in the community of Israel that God established um, all the way to Micah six, eight, all these sorts of things. There's all this connectivity 
um, that we sometimes have to fight against separating. And so when I talk about issues like like race or I talk about an issue like abortion or trap, to me, they're all kind of gathering underneath this umbrella um, that scripture would would identify as as justice. And so part of my point of view when I talk about them is trying to connect the dots and say that while we may all have certain experiences with one of those issues, or we may be passionate about one of those issues and our, our life's work may be, you know, like with my work with Human Coalition, maybe about like, you know, supporting pregnant women and protecting children, those sorts of things. There should be somewhat of an understanding or soft spot in our heart to see how other groups have been vulnerable and been oppressed in different ways. Because to me, that is the full, you know, palette of what scripture shows us as you read from cover to cover, is that image bearers of God, no matter their age, ethnicity, size, state of development, um, have value and human dignity. How do we fight for that human dignity for all of them in different ways? Amen. And and ultimately, the answer to all of those issues, too, is is Jesus entering into that that brokenness and and so that's the solution to yeah all of these these different issues as well um and then he allows us and and, and empowers us mm-hmm. to come up with some practical you know solutions to, to to meet people in these these injustices and and to to speak up um for sure so uh part of that for you is you mentioned the human coalition and my wife and i support mm-hmm. human coalition and so i'm i'm behind you and and the ministry um, and so you're, you're the, the VP of strategic relationships. And, and so human coalition is, is a champion of life committed to an uh, audacious mission to transform our culture of death into a culture of life to end abortion in America. So, so what is your, your role and, and, and kind of what's the, the, the latest with, with some of the work that, that you're in, involved with? Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned Jesus entering in and part of the evidence of, of Jesus uh, within us and within systems is that you fight against injustice. Um, Let it never be said that the Christian church sat on the sidelines because we felt like it's only about preaching Jesus and not showing people that we actually care that Jesus does love them. So there has to be both of those things present. And with human Mm -hmm. coalition, it's about making abortion, you know, unthinkable and also unnecessary. That takes an entire culture, cultural shift. Um, the unthinkable part is realizing the sanctity of life um, for the baby in the womb, but also the, the child's mother mm. and understanding that they both deserve protection. They both deserve to be served. Um, so you got the unthinkable and then the unnecessary part of it is kind of what you talked about when, when Jesus infuses and his love infuses you as an individual and in, in, in a community, you have to go meet people's needs. And so we found with Human Coalition that 75% of abortion-minded women would prefer to parent if their circumstances were different. Many times those circumstances are financial. Sometimes they're relational. Sometimes those circumstances have to do with with housing or or income. Many of the things people struggle with, um, for 75% of those women that we see, they would actually prefer to parent, but they feel like they can't do it because something is in the way. So the question is, how do we, as individuals, as an organization, as communities, and as a country, I would say, best serve people and meet their needs so that we can make abortion unnecessary Hmm. and we can drive those numbers down. Uh, So for me, I started, I was, first of all, thank you for your support of Human Coalition, number one. And number two, I was first made aware of Human Coalition back when they were like online for life. I don't know if you remember those days, but they were just an online organization that was kind of matching needs to local PRCs, pregnancy resource centers. And now they've grown. I served on the board. And over the last year, I've just been in more of a role with them, which is connecting with supporters um, in various areas around the country, uh, speaking on their behalf, um, you know, telling people about the work, uh, encouraging people to be involved like yourself. And so that's kind of what I've been doing. One of my um, jobs uh, that I've been doing over the last year, but it's been very um, eye-opening, and I just love the leadership of uh, Jeff Bradford. I love um, the vision that he has 
uh, I, I, I love the way that we have wraparound services and nobody really offers. You know, we are the only organization from a quote unquote pro-life perspective that not only gives direct services to, to pregnant women, but also has an advocacy component where we champion legislation at a state, local and federal level. Uh, because we truly do believe that the two have to work in concert if we're going to make abortion not only unthinkable but unnecessary. Amen. And 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 then also, so the website humancoalition.org, humancoalition.org, and then also there, there's local strategies. And so I'm in Charlotte, so there's mm-hmm. a, there's a Charlotte uh, presence and and a number of cities around the country too, which is which is great and bringing more uh, connection and, and continuity to even smaller pregnancy resource centers that now you guys have, you know, that's kind of with the word coalition, uh, which is, which is so great as well. So I don't know if you want to add of to course, that. Of course, of course. And part of the coalition piece is, yes, we partner with local PRCs. Um, we are, we have our own brick and mortar um, resource centers in, in, um, in seven different cities around the country. Uh, but what we really do um, is our telecare model. And that model covers the entire state of Texas. We have one in Chicago. We have, telecare on, on much of the United States. And what that simply means is that through through Google searches, um, a woman that is searching for an abortion can call the number. She'll be connected directly to our um, telecare center in our home office in Texas. Through that, she can speak with um, counselors. She can speak with uh, medical professionals. And she can be connected to a local center in her area for an actual in-person appointment. And so we've seen that model really explode. I mean, during the pandemic, we were able to serve thousands of women while so many places were closed because we have the telecare model. So that's something that I think differentiates. And, you know, the other part of coalition I I would add is that there are so many people and groups really of, you know, different faith traditions doing this work. Um, whether they be Protestant, Catholic, some something else. There are many people doing this work in, in their communities for women. And what we want to do is really connect and support. Uh, we don't find ourselves to be in competition because we do something different. And we believe that the movement, the quote-unquote pro-life movement, the serving women, helping children movement benefits when all of us are doing what we do well. And so one thing we did at the March for Life was we had a, we had a, a two hour live stream <laughs> and we had probably about 30 different organizations from uh, students for life to Democrats for life to focus on the family. Um, so many others, Heartbeat International, uh, so many organizations that came on to tell us and tell people about what they do, because there has to be this, uh, this collective thinking there has to be this quote unquote coalition of different organizations in order to serve women and children and men uh, when it comes to this issue. Amen. And the, the men too, that that's, that's part of the, the whole, that's, a, the whole huge, that's yeah. a huge part of it. When you talk about families and when you think about, you know, I keep going back. It's crazy. When you, like, when you read scripture, it's just like, it's right there. It's like, Oh man, this is just so obvious. But the, what, what, what Satan did in the garden, mm. right? What he did in the garden was to disrupt family. That, that's that's the plan. That's he right. disrupted the family. That was the yeah. first thing he did. He went to he he went to Eve. Adam standing right there, not doing his job. Mm. Disrupt right. the family, and then the curse comes, and it's difficulty in work, it's difficulty in childbirth, it's difficulty between men and women, the relationship between men and women. And so, what Satan tries to do, if if I want to destroy a culture, a, a community, a people group. If I just want to create havoc, I just go and chop up family roles and I just sow discord in the family. That's what I do. And when it comes to this of abortion, like you mentioned, so many men, um, number one, there are many men who are post-abortive who have had themselves because they've been silenced, silenced by, by others, haven't been able to speak into um, championing their own child's life because of law, that sort of thing. But there are also a lot of men who have dropped their girlfriends or their wives off at clinics. There's also a lot of men who have paid for abortions. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that impacts all of us in different ways. All of us have been impacted and it's all, and in the church, mm-hmm. right? In the church, yep. four out of 10 women have had abortions. Wow. And so that also wow. means to me, I don't have a stat for this, 
but but it also means to me that four out of ten men probably who are in the church have been involved as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is something that needs to be addressed with uh, with compassion, with love. Um, you know, the Bible says that there's now no no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So many so many women, especially, but also men, feel um, uh, condemned or, or, or guilty or useless because of this. And and what Jesus, what God would say to them is, you know, I forgive, but I also restore. Mm, the healing, and, the healing. And, and yes, there's healing, and that there's also a, a, a mission and a ministry for you and purpose for you, even because of your pain. That's right. Amen. Amen. Gosh, well, thank, thanks for sharing that. And I'm, I'm so glad that we uh, are able to share that with our listeners. And again, the website, humancoalition.org. Let, let's not sit on the sidelines. Let's figure out you know, some role to, to be a part of this. There are a lot of layers to it, and, and, and it, needs, it needs all of us to, to, to contribute to this, um, this key issue and, and to, to bring love, healing, restoration, uh, awareness, uh, a, a, lot, a lot of it. So, um, Thank you for what you're doing, Benjamin, man. Appreciate, appreciate that. That's, that's awesome. Well, all right. So we're, we're long on, we, we're already over. Do you, do you need to run? I was going to ask you about at least one other thing. You yeah, good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, so I want to also let people know about the kind of the blog, the email that goes out. It's, it's on, on bulletin. And, and so it's, it's the Watson seven, a uh, weekly publication to equip individuals, families, and communities to love well and live intentionally as they navigate culture, faith, justice, marriage, parenting, philanthropy, and race. And so, uh, so I subscribe, get it through the email. And, and so, of course, one of the big topics, and we, we talked a little bit about on our podcast, uh, the, the coaching hirings and the lack of diversity with especially the latest kind of update on, on vacancies and all that. And so you wrote about it. Um, and so I guess my, my question, people can read kind of all of your thoughts on that, but what is the next step and that you kind of want to see the, the league make with this? And then what should sports fans know about this issue? And even as we mm-hmm. kind of hear some of the talking points, what, what, what do we need to just kind of understand with uh, the, the coaching and di- lack of diversity? Yeah, well, I, I think the number one thing um, – you know, to understand. And it's kind of difficult sometimes, you know, if you don't have an in- intimate knowledge of how the NFL works. Yeah. Uh, but the commissioner, Roger Goodell, works for the owners. Um, he is employed by them. There are 30 different owners, 31 owners. You know, the, the, the Packers are publicly owned, but they still have management uh, in place. And so uh, ownership largely makes decisions um, for their clubs, which are 100% and behind. Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to black coaches, the first black coach was a guy named Fritz Pollard back in the 20s. That was the team in Akron that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, But then in 1989, Art Shell was the first black coach of the modern era. He coached for the Los Angeles Raiders. Um, Since then, there have only been a few, a handful, 20-something black coaches. There have been 500 coaches in all in NFL history. Only, Mm -hmm. I believe, 20-something of them have have been black coaches. Now, is that a problem or not? Some would say, well, that's not a problem. There aren't enough black men or women that want to be coaches. We know that that's not true just by the number of coaches who have applied for these jobs. And so what I want to see happen next, I want the ownership is going to have to make a concerted effort to say we are going to hire a black coach. One thing that comes up a lot, and I think listeners can maybe feel this right now, and if not, they'll appreciate this. There's always an assumption that if we target a black professional to do something, that that person that we're going to sacrifice them being qualified. Mm. And what I'm saying is that all these people are qualified or they wouldn't be considered. Mm. But what happens is, like many organizations, when there's nepotism involved, a large number of coaches have at least a family member or they're tied through some bloodline to somebody that's either in ownership or has been a coach. When there's nepotism involved, certain people are not allowed to get into the circles. If I'm always hiring a friend of mine or my nephew or my nephew's friend, if you're not in that group, you'll never get an opportunity even though you're qualified. Mm. And so w- what I'm not saying, or what I don't believe, I don't know that there's some concerted effort 
to collaborate with ownership to block out black coaches and only hire two in the last two hiring cycles. I don't know that that's the case. I can't, I can't judge anybody's heart. All I can judge is results. Like what I learned in the NFL is look, we turn the film on and what we see is the truth of your performance. And what I'm hearing from the NFL is we want to have diversity. We've had these programs. We created a pipeline. We did all this stuff, but there's still no results. So I'm just looking at the results. And so what I want to see is an owner or a group of owners actually act on what they've been saying, which is we failed. We've got to do better. And the next hiring cycle, however many op- openings there are, they have to decide a metric mm. and let it be known publicly how many, mm. what percentage of black coaches we want to hire, how many we want to see come on. So then we can say, you, yes, you guys failed. How do you do it better the next time? Mm. Um, it's a very difficult thing because uh, nobody wants to tell somebody how to run their business. True. But if you but if you look throughout history at these sorts of issues, it always takes some sort of bold action or some sort of litigation when it comes to getting black professionals in the door. Hmm. I mean, I mean, we can look we can look most recently in the 60s or we can look in reconstruction or, or whatever that time period is. There had to be some something that forced the hand. Of predominantly, in this case, white ownership to get outside of their comfort zone of what they've been doing. And again, it's not to say that they're malicious. Some of them may be. Some of them may be, you know, I don't want a black coach to be the face of my organization Mm -hmm. because there are several organizations that have never had one. But some of them may simply not see it. And that while they have a heart for it, they just don't know the next best step. And my hope is that they do something that is is bold. They're going to have to have... They're going to have to be public about it. We want to, we want to have 13% of the league's coaches to be black. We want to have 20% of them. We want to have 50, whatever it is out of the next, whatever the next hiring cycle, if there's two jobs, we want one of them to go to a black coach. That's what it's going to take. And there's going to be pushback because there always is. There's always Mm -hmm. going to be an assumption or a question about, we just want to hire the best person. What I'm saying is they are all the best person, but you're not choosing some of these people. And, and I believe it's, you know, because there's just not, there's just not the comfort level there. It's a very complicated <clears throat> issue, but it's simple to solve. Man, no, I know there, there's so much to it. And I guess from my, my vantage point, I look at like Mike Tomlin, you know, unbelievable coach, Tony Dungy, you know, Lovey Smith, all these guys, and, and even Brian Flores. I mean, the idea that Brian Flores isn't a head coach after the success he had, I, I consider it success with what he did in Miami. Yeah. Um, that was shocking to me. And so, to, it's like, why aren't some of these guys getting another chance? And, and, and so where's the hesitation? And so that's why those are my like questions. And, um, you know, just Jim Caldwell, for instance, I mean, what he did in Detroit, like the idea that he's not getting another shot is crazy to me. Um, yeah. So, whereas you're, you're, you're rolling the dice on some of these, you know, these random young guys. Now, Sean McVay, it worked out, and, but he, he was in the league for a long time before even getting his chance. But even Zach Taylor, even the coach of, uh, of the Bengals, I mean, you look at a guy like Joe Judge, who's never, you know, a coordinator, oh. he's a special team. You know, there's – and this is the other thing. Um, I can still congratulate a coach like a Joe or a Dayball, but also say at the same time have discontent with the way things go down because there's no real standard for who's going to be a head coach. We don't have that. We don't have we don't have a standard qualification. You must be a coordinator. A lot of it comes down to familiarity. I know a guy you trained under. I can see myself as the coach, as the as the the, uh, the owner of the Panthers said. Your Panthers said about about rule. He said I can see myself in his story. I can see myself in him. I can relate yeah. in that way. Yep. Th- there's a lot of feeling that's involved, which which when standards are subjective, there's there's no real accountability. Mm. Yeah, and that can and that can work in many different ways, but in in this in this case, it's been working against so many black coaches who, you know, deserve a, a chance and who and who are capable and are are shut out because they don't have those certain relationships. But they're never going to get them unless they are able to to be the head coaches that they deserve to be. Man, yeah. One final thing, 
I think I was maybe it was Dungy I was listening to, but this whole idea that for a long time we like missed out on great quarterbacks because there was this misconception, oh, we can't have a black quarterback. And so there was a whole generation of guys we just didn't get to see and we didn't get to enjoy as fans because there were biases and whatever led to that. And we're, it's kind of happening with now coaches too. So that's where my concern is like we're missing out on some great head coaches. And is that because they're not, they're not willing to do it because of skin color? So that's where we need to get to. We need to have the best coaches out there because as fans, we want the best coaches and the best players and remove the, the, the color and all that kind of thing. We want to see the best. Um, and we do. Should be. We do. But this is the thing. You know, it's not just the NFL. Um, you look at corporate America. I mean, so uh, the, about that. Uh, uh, you know, the Fortune 500 companies, only 19 of them have, have, have been black. I mean, it's, you know, and that's since 1950-something. Um, right now, there are four. Um, and so we look at C-level positions, decision makers. It's been documented. Um, this is not my opinion. Uh, it's been documented. The fact that white uh, business people get promoted quicker with less education than their black counterparts. Wow. This is not my opinion. This is not me making stuff up. You, you can look this up. There's, there's actual data on this. And so it's, while on the one hand, you know, this country has evolved in so many ways in, in quick times, in a, in, a, in a relatively quick, quick amount of time in our lifetimes. And, and, and we love this place, you know, we're Americans. Like we, we I don't wanna be anywhere else. Like this is home. Um, we have to be real about what America is. And so when you take a step back and you look at American history, from today to yesterday to 10 years from uh, back to 100 years ago, um, this country that has been based on a caste system of race. That's what it's been based on. And so as you chip away at all those things, there's always going to be discomfort. There's always going to be um, a sense of things changing too quickly for some people or too slowly for other people. There's always going to be this struggle. Um, and that's just been our history going back from 1619, you know, when the first African-Americans arrived to, to now. I mean, th this has been, you know, you talk about a thread of justice, uh, you know, that you're going through your church, you know, the thread, the red thread of, of scripture. You know, this has been the thread that has gone through America that has been a hallmark of our of our you know democratic republic. And so this is just today's version of it. This is just what we're fighting today. And it's going to be something tomorrow, and it was something yesterday. But I think when you look at it from that perspective, it's not mind-blowing that there was a time when my father played, which I was just with my dad. It wasn't that long ago that he could, you couldn't play center, you couldn't play middle linebacker, and you wow. definitely couldn't play quarterback wow. because those were the decision-making positions. And when, you're, and when you live in a, in a culture – where the, the dominant culture wants to make the decisions, that's how they're the dominant culture, um, then it makes sense that even in the sport, there's still certain ide ideology that mirrors the culture. Mm. And, and the thing is, that's not, a, that's not an indictment on every single black person or white person. It's not, a, it's not an individual indictment. It's more like this is the atmosphere mm. that, that, we've all be, that we've all been conditioned in. Mm. And so the more we're aware of that, the, the more I think that we are we are open to making what seems like drastic, you know, some people will call it discriminatory action to correct it. Mm. Because the more you realize how things are going in one direction in all spheres, all sectors, then the more you have empathy and openness to say, if I really care about this and I see all this stuff that's happened and I know all this history, and I see how it all has implications today. Yeah, if, if, I, if, I, if we want to turn off the faucet, we're going to have to like really, really turn that thing and really do something counterintuitive to correct what's been going wrong so long if we actually think it's a problem. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think people have to accept that it is a problem or believe that. And like I was saying just about the best, like we want the best. And you know, I even go back, you know, to, to go back to Dungy and Tomlin, the impact that they have on the lives of people and, you know, their, their own players, but the, the impact that they do in communities and all that kind of thing, 
and they both love Jesus. And so, like, if we're missing out on having those types of guys in key leadership roles, man, then we're not, we're not, we're not doing our our best. So yeah. that's, that's and, and this is the thing: there's a lot of the best. So again, you can only pick one coach for for a job. True. So they yeah. interview a bunch of different people. I've never interviewed a head coach, so I may be going on limb here, but I do believe there are probably five, six guys who could fill any role. There are a lot of the best. So you're always projecting or guessing who you think will give you the best fit. Yeah. You know, and part of that fit is how you feel like your, your assistant coaches will, will respond to them. How do I, as an owner communicate with you? Can I trust you? Um, So all those things factor into the best. So even when we say the best, it's not to say that, if you hired a to- coach Dungey and there were four other white guys that he was necessarily the, the best. Number mm-hmm. one, we don't know what the best is because we don't have any real qualifications. Number two, a lot of different guys could fit those positions. And I think what the outcry from some of the coaches that are willing to say something, because a lot of them won't say anything b- because they don't want to get the back. They don't want to get backlash from the ownership. It makes sense. But the, the cry, the outcry is that we're, Many of us are the best, but but we will get picked. We just won't get picked. We'll get somebody else will get picked over us, and we already know that because we don't fit the certain mold that they're looking for. And part of it is whether it's conscious bias or subconscious bias, is the skin that we were born with is why we're not considered for that role, even though they will say, "Oh yeah, he's a great candidate." Gosh, yeah, that's dev- yeah, that's devastating to to hear. And that's the reality. Um, and I do think white coaches have to, to be a part of the solution. Uh, white players have to be a part of the solution. White media members have to be a part of the solution. It, it has to be an kind of everybody in, Hey, let's, let's re- really actually get to some change here. Stop talking about it and evaluate the Rooney rule and, and go from there. And, and so it's a, it's a big topic. Yeah. So I appreciate you uh, talking about it. And I, I enjoy hearing and, and, and talking about it my, myself. Cause I, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of layers to it. So for sure, for sure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for man. I could talk all day to you with you and, and uh, appreciate just kind of what you stand for and, and your willingness to, to be bold and vocal about your, your faith and, and all these other key issues as well. And so great to have you back on unpacking it. Great catching up. It was fun seeing you in Texas this, this past summer. And yeah, uh, Glad this worked out. It was great, man. I appreciate it. Uh, one last thing I'll add. Uh, my wife and I have uh, relaunched our podcast. Yes, uh, why, yes. are, why are why not with the Watsons? And so um, we did it for a year and uh, took a little break, but we've relaunched. And so people can check that out. Uh, we, we're the parents of seven children. Doesn't make us expert experts on parenting. We just made a lot of mistakes. Uh, <laughs> so we'll share some of that about parenting, about marriage we've been married for, married for 16 years and we'll talk about that including valentine's day that we just mentioned um but also things like culture and faith um you know being believers being a family that you know, tries to serve and love the lord and navigating those things in, in the culture that we live in today so it's called why or why not with the watsons and people can find it wherever they get their podcast from that's right why or why not and now it's also you can see it on tv liftable tv yep. as well so that's a new addition to the the distribution yeah, my wife is beautiful, so we decided to put her on camera. It's not, really not for me, um, but uh, I love looking at her on camera. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's cool. So you're still. So it's kind of the same. The same podcast structure. It's just now you can see it. Yep. 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 Now you can see it on Liftable TV. Uh, we have uh, episodes there, uh, but also you you know you can listen to it in the traditional way, uh, going to Apple or accessmoreactually.com um, as well is where you can find it. Awesome. That's, that's excellent. And then also his book, he's got two different books under our skin, getting real about race and getting free from the fears and frustrations that divide us. And then also the new dad playbook. Uh, so he's got that out as well. Will, will books be something uh, you continue to pursue writing books? I would like to, it's just a matter of time and direction at this point. Um, what is, what's the, the, the intersection that I really want to write on? My mind goes in a lot of different places. And for a book, you got to be kind of focused on something. <laughs> so yep, so yep. Uh, that's definitely something that I, that, I, that I do enjoy doing. Very cool. No, that's awesome. Well, man, keep up the great work and, and let, let's stay connected. And, and again, humancoalition.org. I encourage everybody to check that out as well. 
He's Benjamin Watson joining us here on the MetaShare guest line here on the Unpacking It podcast. I'm Bryce. Thanks so much for being with us. Sharing the personal side of sports, this is Unpacking It with Bryce Johnson. So there he is, Benjamin Watson. So great to have him back on the show. When we interviewed him years ago, he was with the Saints. Uh, so back in 2013, and that was when we were doing our, our radio show. And and so it's amazing to see uh, kind of, yeah, just how he's grown and matured. And now he's got seven kids and his willingness to, to share his life with other people. And so we can learn from him and, and his wife and seven kids. Um, I, I mean, I have a tough enough time with two. So the idea of seven is remarkable. Um, so man, that's, yeah, I'm blown away by that, but his also just his willingness to, to speak on topics, uh, you know, race and, and abortion and, and being a, a spokesman to point people to Jesus, to point people to, uh, justice and you know I think this this balance of you know I believe Jesus is the answer he is the solution all of our hearts are are broken we're in need of a savior we are sinful people in need of a savior and when Jesus enters into our lives when he enters into situations restoration can take place and and ultimately you know God will bring justice uh, to this to this world and and so he's he's in control and 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 he uses us though to to be his hands and feet and and to fight injustice and and to speak for the voiceless and and to you know make a difference for him and and for for his purposes and and so you know Benjamin his willingness to understand scripture to study scripture to be a Bible-based man and, and husband and father, former football player, and then use that wisdom, use his, his faith and what God's doing on the inside to then be a, a spokesperson. Um, that's a big responsibility. And, and for any of us that, you know, I was talking about, oh, you speak for God. It, it's a, that's a, a delicate thing to say, but hopefully when we, you know, speak truth, it's, I'm being led by God. I, I want to make sure that I get out of the way. And this is true for me, too. I, I want to get out of the way. I, I don't want to say things that are going to mislead people or question uh, what, you know, question God or, or his word or anything. I want people to be drawn to him and drawn to his word and drawn to truth. And, and so God has changed my life, and I want to encourage other people to, to, to know God, follow Jesus, the Bible is real. It's transforming. So I want people to know the Bible. Um, and so, I, you know, that that's my my motivations. And, and so I think for Benjamin, too, it's like he wants to, yeah, he doesn't want to just speak on his own opinions. And he's not, to me, he's not like a, he's not a hot take guy. He's not in, just trying to stir the pot or anything like that. No, he's, he's very measured, very calm, you know, just great delivery on, on key issues. Um, and so I love that uh, about him. So that's why I can, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cheerleader, so to speak, uh, for him and, and the work that he does, writing, speaking, advocating, a lot of media stuff that, that he's involved with. Uh, he, he's produced a, a film um, about, about abortion. Um, and so, you know, those types of things, it's, uh, it's just cool how he's yeah, using his, his 15 years of, of playing and then to, to be able to leverage that into making a difference. And, and so for all of us, you know, like you were saying, too, it was really encouraging to me that it, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's 20 people or 20 million people that, that we're influencing. We have to be obedient to what God is calling us to do and calling us to say. The message that he has for us, as long as it's aligned with Scripture, aligned with truth, and, and that we can confidently you know, get out of the way and let God speak through us the results or the the audience or whatever you know we we that's up to that's up to God cuz he he can he can grow whatever we're doing and you know talk about this podcast we trust him to to get it into to more people's hands and and ears um 
but ultimately we have to trust God with that. But but I have to be obedient and faithful to what God is is calling me to do and asking me to say, um, and and trust the rest to Him. So that was something that that Benjamin said as well, which which was great. So I take that that to heart personally, and and for all of us, it's. It's impacting our families. It's impacting our neighborhood. It's impacting the three guys at work. Whatever it is, if that's where God has us and that's where we're we're given an opportunity, let's maximize that and, and ask God. Okay, how, all right. What are we What are we doing? What do you need? What do you need from me? How How can I serve you? How can I serve the people around me? Be a voice. Um, point people to you. Point people to truth. Speak up for injustice. Speak against injustice and pursue justice. Um, it's important. It really is. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard. The pushback is there. We, we're up against an enemy. There's no question about it. All right, guys. Enjoyed being with you today. Enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did as well. We'd love to to hear your feedback. Anything jump out to you? Uh, you can email me, Bryce, at unpackingit.com. One of my favorite guests and interviews that we've, we've done in, in a while. We do a lot of great ones. This one this one was exceptional. It was only supposed to be 30 minutes. We went, we went way long and could have gone all day. We... We only scratched the surface. I mean, there's so much to get get into with him. Uh, just, man, just a great guy. Wow. Thanks for listening to the Unpacking a Podcast presented by MediShare. I'm Bryce. I'm a sports fan who follows Jesus. I believe in the good news that he died on the cross for my sin. He was resurrected, and through faith, I've been saved by his grace. I hope that is true for you as well, and I hope you'll join me as we live life as sports fans who follow Jesus together. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Unpacking It podcast presented by MediShare. For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.